know what time it is. It's Thursday. Hear the music. It's 1046. I'm Guy Adami. I'm joined, as always, by my dear friend, Dan Nathan. Today's episode of At 1046 is brought to you by our presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Oh, by the way, today we're going to be joined by Sarah Potter, FactSet senior marketing content specialist and economic contributor. And of course, we're also sponsored by Open Exchange. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, we got a lot going on. Macro call today, just a single stock research call, chart of the week, guest speaker, one for the road, the whole rig, hopefully in 14 minutes. Help me, Dan Nathan, please. There's no way we're getting done in 14 minutes. No. I, and you're no. all fired up. This is like I the am. Super Bowl World Series and like the NCAA Final Four all wrapped, wrapped up. up. And one yeah, this week, sure. we had all those super cap tech earnings. We had a Fed meeting. We got markets making new highs every day. Why is the market higher, guy? Because it's open, Dan. There you go. There you go. And that is a virtual market that matters. All right. Let's talk about the Fed. We had yeah, that. Please. Uh, yeah. No, well, look. look here, you talk about the Fed, because I know that well, you no, I don't. Just, I, look, I mean, everybody's talking about the Fed. Financial yeah. Times, Fed moves closer. Oh, they're moving closer to a yeah. decision on tapering horse hockey in terms of Sherman Potter parlance. Uh, Bloomberg, <laughs> not even Jerome Powell gets what's up with the bond market. I happen to agree with that one. And obviously, the <laughs> Wall Street Journal, Fed says economy has progressed towards goals and tees up bond taper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the same way I'm teeing up to play shortstop for the Yankees is the same way the Fed's teeing up this taper. None of it's happening. You know why? Because they can't, Dan Nathan. And oh, by the way, we're going to look at yields. But before we get there, good for you because you've been all over it, Dan. Well, no, I mean, listen, they can taper. They're doing $120 billion of purchases a month, right, between treasuries mm -hmm. and MBS. And and I think it, what, what is very clear is that they're going to signal at Jackson Hole in a month from now. And listen, this is you you and me, two stock jockey dummies here. You know, we got Sarah Potter later. She's going to help us out um, with this a little bit. But they're likely to signal maybe 10, maybe 20, that sort of thing, billion coming off of those purchases. And maybe that's enough. I do, do think it's interesting um, that yields really haven't moved a whole heck of a lot. They're still banging around, and we'll look at the chart in a minute, um, that kind of 200-day moving average, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. I think they're up three bips today to 1.26. But, you know, it was a pretty um, uneventful uh, meeting, if you will. And I do think that they did move slightly closer to indicating a taper. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, fine. I mean, I'm, you know, even so they take it going instead of 120 and go down to 110, big deal. It, yeah. it should, quite frankly... I mean, we're so far into this. It shocks me that they're still doing $120 billion of purchases a month. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Hey. I think I know why they're doing it. It doesn't matter. Let's look, look, Dan, we got to move, man. We got to lock. I know on. why you think I know why you think that they continue to do it because of the S&P 500. Exactly. You think that, you. All right. OK, That's so exactly you think it's right. It's, all right. Fine. It's not part of their dual mandate, but um, they are making progress towards that 2 percent inflation average, which seems kind of goofy at this point. All right. Let's look at this one year chart here. We drew the line, the technical resistance from the September 2020 highs. We matched it up with our recent highs in May. We're banging up very close to there. Maybe 
maybe it's like 4450. I think most yeah. S&P targets on the street are somewhere now between 4400 and 4600 year end. You have an S&P 500 that is raging up 17 and a half percent on the year, but we found some support technically at that 50-day moving average over the last year. It's a really nice uptrend, you would agree. Um, that breakout level down there at 4000 sooner or later we're going to see a convergence with that 200-day and that 4000 breakout level. Will we hit it this year, guy? Will we have a correction from 4400-ish down to 4000? What would that be? Would that be exactly the definition of a correction? To the penny as Carter yeah. Worth would say, and you know each day that's a, that 200-day moving average increases by about five or so S&P points. So at some point, the 200-day moving averages are coming around 4,000. You just did the math for us. Thank you, Dan, Nathan. And <laughs> yeah. I think post this, I think next week, you know, this is going to sound crazy. You're going to start to see some of these analysts raise their S&P forecast to 5,000 or so. Don't discount that because we're coming off pretty robust earnings, which are also going to talk about. We are banging right up against that trend line, Dan. Yes, we bounced off the 50-day in a heroic fashion. I do think we're going to sort of fail here post-earnings. We get Amazon tonight, but that's, as I say, what makes markets. What's really driving this thing is not only U.S. dollar, but yields, which is our next chart, Dan. As I said, great job by you. Here we are, sort of 125 or so. 200-day moving average is still sloping higher, although starting to flatten out here. Um, it, it's going to make for interest. Listen, I happen to think the next month and a half in yields is going to tell a huge story. I'm sure you agree. You think lower, I think higher. You said that's what makes markets. I agree with you, Dan. Yeah, I'm not sure they go much higher or excuse me, much lower here. You know, maybe we do a little bit of a retest of that last week's low at 1.15 in the 10 year. Um, you know, I think the Fed kind of set the table for the next month or so. And it would really have to be something where, you know, back to that headline where Jerome Powell doesn't even know what's going on with yield. It would be a real head scratcher. But just from a purely technical standpoint, you see where that um, support is at like 116, 117 and the January break out above 1%. And listen, you're giving me kudos, as you like to say, man, when in January, when we just broke 1%, I remember you saying on Fast Money, we're going to have a straight shot to 2%. We nearly got there 1.18 in a matter of months. So that was a great call by you. Maybe they overshoot a little bit, but I probably find support down in that kind of 1% range. And then they probably start going higher into Jackson Hole into the fall. Thank you for that. I appreciate you also saying setting the table. You wonder, is Joey Gallo going to set the table for Aaron Judge or oh, VC no. Vicey for you Yankee fans out there as the Yankees made a big trade last night? I'm sorry, Dan, I had to get that in there. And let's go to our next slide because this is important. If I see reiterate one more time, <laughs> I think I'm going to scream. But Credit Suisse reiterates Facebook. Bernstein reiterates Alphabet. Dana Telsey Advisory reiterates Amazon. She is a retail analyst. Amazon falls in that category. Needham, Apple, Morgan Stanley, Microsoft. You see it, Dan. Why? Because these earnings came out shockingly good, I would say, specifically in my opinion, the Google earnings were just ridiculous. They were ridiculous. And that stock obviously is one of the few of the bunch that actually traded up meaningfully after the results. The other ones had massive uh, raises. I think it's interesting, this slide, because you see all these reiterations. There were no downgrades. There's no one. No. You have a career risk, I guess, to downgrade any of the F MAGA complex, if you will. And so, you know, when you look at these names, you know, the, the consensus, um, you know, is is 
obviously very bullish. I think 90 some percent of the analysts rate these stocks, all of them, um, a buy. I'll just say this, you know, we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Um, I think the move into a lot of these names over the last couple of months, we've seen lots of rotations, but the rotation back into them and new highs in Apple and Amazon over the last couple of weeks, I think is defensive. And we're going to talk about another sector in a second where we've seen a lot of money come out. We've seen a lot of money come out, a lot of um, cyclical and some more economically GDP sensitive groups over the last couple of months. So I don't actually see this as particularly bullish. And I'm not sure how these five stocks with nearly $10 trillion in market cap trading at all time highs can drive the S&P 500 from 4,400 to 5,000 or whatever over the next few months before we have a meaningful correction. I happen to agree with you. It doesn't mean you're not going to see analysts raise their S&P price target. By the way, I love these I love these little rectangles with the different things in them. The OCD in me would have made them all very <laughs> symmetrical, but that's me. Let's go to our first chart off of this slide and look at the NASDAQ because un much like the S&P 500, we're banging against that trend line that Dan has drawn since September. Yeah, what's interesting about the NDX, we know that those top five names make up a little more than 45% of the weight of this index of 100 stocks. And when you look at Microsoft and Facebook and Google in particular, they're up between 28 and 55%, those three names, okay? One of them's up 55, one's up 28, one's up 32. That is truly astounding. What I find most interesting is that Apple and Amazon, despite having these 20% plus rallies since mid-May, are underperforming the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ 100, up, you know, 16 or so percent, 17%. Those two names have not, they've really underperformed. So can they help the indice? Um, it would be both indices, the S&P and the NASDAQ, push higher. I suspect not. It was a big run. And I also take you back to that 200-day moving average. The last time we were kind of near there, you know, in March, we had a real sell-off in these major tech names. And it was basically unchanged on the year. We haven't kind of sniffed any of the moving averages um, since then. So what's your take, NDX versus SPX? And can Apple and Amazon start doing more heavy lifting for the broad market? Yeah, we're going to find out with Amazon. If you go back and look at the last two Amazon quarters, both quarters, one quarter was better than the next. I mean, they were both ridiculously strong. But each time, Amazon basically traded up to 3,500-ish and failed. First time, it traded up to 3,460. Within two weeks, down to 2,900 and changed. So the similar thing this last quarter where it traded up to 3,600 and failed. Here we are now north of those levels. It makes you wonder... Have we run too far too fast in Amazon? And are we going to see similar price action? Because if we do, my sense is you're going to see the NASDAQ fail at these levels. And, you know, I'm 57 years old now, but when I was younger, my grandparents used to say, you got to come and visit us more often, little guy. And I would try. Well, why do I mention that? Because we have not visited the 200-day moving yeah. average, Dan, seemingly in the last two years. It's just a matter of time at this point. Every standard deviation we get away uh, makes me more inclined to believe we're going to test it. And that should obviously filter into the S&P 500, which brings us to our one analyst call, because as you mentioned, we do have a special guest coming. Susquehanna, for you um, Abbott, Abbott and Costello fans out there, of course, the Susquehanna Hat Company, they also happen to be a Wall Street firm, upgraded American Airlines to uh, neutral from negative, citing recovery in domestic travel. I get it. Here's the Wall Street take. The average price target is basically 20 bucks. I'm looking at it, Dan. The range, according to FactSet, is somewhere between 5 and 29. Uh, they were upgraded at Berenberg today as well. $19 price target from 16. And I think on Tuesday of this week, Seaport upgraded the stock as well. $27 price target. American Airlines reported they are no longer burning cash. As a matter of fact, 
They're actually making money each day. That's the good news. The bad news is, if you ask me, the stock is nowhere where we fell off from in February of 2020. We have a chart that will speak to that, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, this is the Jets. This is the ETF that tracks the major airlines. The top four holdings, um, United, Delta, American, and Southwest make up about 40% of the weight of it. And you look at that, you know, back in January and February, when we just had these vaccine rollouts, there was tremendous optimism about some of these very hard hit names that we were going to start to see domestic travel, business travel, and then international come back over the course of this year. Interestingly, that, you know, we know that we've seen domestic come back. The international and business is not coming coming back um, anytime soon. And you kind of see that precipitous drop in early June in the Jets. And what does that have to do with? I think it has to do with the Delta variant. I think that makes some sense. Mm -hmm. I think it kind of kind of was like a little bit of a heat check for those people who thought it was going to be off to the races for the reopening trade, especially in the hospitality industry. I just say the Jets is really interesting to me here because it is below that 200-day moving average. It did have a nice bounce um, last week. I think when the market made its mind up, it's not particularly worried anymore. The market not particularly worried about the Delta variant anymore. But we know know that we're going to see fits and starts in different industries um, as it relates to the recovery. Um, but this is where I want to go to you, Guy, because, you know, you've been doing this for for decades now. And yeah, 47 years next Tuesday. 40, 47 you. years next Tuesday. But like, let's look at the transports, because I think it's kind of related here. And you're a big Dow transport guy, right? If you I actually help, I actually helped write the theory. Of back course in the you day, did. Then. The white paper, as you will, on the Dow, uh, on the Dow theory. But this thing topped out again, just like, you know, in early May, even before some of the um, airlines took that puke here, it's been trending lower here. It's not, it's not confirmed any of the new highs in the S&P 500. And then it's broken that uptrend, that one-year uptrend. That's a bad chart, Guy Donnie. And it's interesting. I think you add in UPS and FedEx to that equation. Yeah. Obviously, the news out of UPS wasn't great. You saw the downdraft in that stock and Federal Express. And no, this chart is now that uptrend that you drew uh, exquisitely, by the way. Thank you, Faxa, once again, for the charts is now broken. And I think that 200-day moving average absolutely is in play. You have that steep downtrend. We traded up to it, seemingly failed. I do think we test the 200-day. And then, listen, we see what happens if and when we get there. You know, if the transports start to give up the ghost on the back of some of these airlines, FedEx, UPS, and others, rails throw that in there as well. And if the economy starts to slow down, we're going to talk to Sarah about GDP and those types of things. One has to wonder if we're going to go retest that level we saw back in February. But as they say, that what makes markets which brings us to our next slide, the great John Butters. This is one for the road. This is the Roger Miller segment. If you'd like me to sing, I will. I'm sure you don't. Please, Dan. Yeah, so Mr. Butters gives us a little preview of his earnings insight that drops every Friday morning. I've been looking at this thing for years. I find it very useful as a nice little input here. He's talking about Q2. Right, stop for a second. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I'm just telling you folks now. I'm just letting you know you're going to hear a bell. We're going OT. So if you got an 11 o'clock meeting, tough Horse, there it is. There's a buzzer. Yeah, Sorry. Push it out. You're going to be uh, a little late. Please continue, Dan. <laughs> no, no, but he was talking about Q2 earnings growth. Up, expected to be up about 81% at this point. Maybe we have half of the S&P 500 having reported um, earnings. That's going to be the highest earnings growth rate ever. But again, we know what ever. happened it's a here. Long, ever is a long time. I know, but you, we know what happened here. We had this weird you know, V thing and this and that, whatever. I think the most important point here is that 
all 11 sectors in the S&P are revert, uh, reporting year-over-year growth. We're just, you know, let's, the recovery happened. It's here. Now, how do we contend with it? How do we value these stocks and these sectors going forward? Because I just go back to the post-financial crisis period and the obsession that investors and strategists and economists had with the potential for a double dip. And if the variant tells us anything is that there's going to be other variants. And who knows, some parts of the world that are much less vaccinated than we are are going to have different uh, issues reopening their economies and it may contain um, bottlenecks for our global supply chains and that sort of thing. That is going to be a story through the balance of this year, possibly into 2022. Agreed. I mean, no question about it. Somebody interesting to see. It's not, listen, I think we all agree that earnings have been great and they're coming off, you know, obviously not that difficult of comps, but it's not about the earnings. It's about what the market does with it. Yep. And market's forward looking. Obviously, earnings is backward looking, but Mr. Butters does great work. You know who else does great work? Fact set. And they introduced us to somebody. We thought we should have her on, Dan, right? Can we do that? Can we slide it, Earl, as they say? <laughs> We have Sarah Potter coming with us now. Sarah, welcome. I want to give you your proper due. You're a senior content specialist and economic contributor at Backset. Welcome to At 1046. Good morning, Guy and Dan. It's great to be with you today. So obviously we've seen a lot going on. I mean, you've watched what the Fed say. Can you, this is your slide, but a lot of key takeaways. Can you sort of speak to what you're seeing and how you interpret what's going on this week? Yeah, so basically there was no change in the Fed's policy, as you talked about, the, the target rate for the Fed funds rate, extremely low between zero and 0.25%. The Fed is still buying about $120 billion a month in bonds made up of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. Well, what do we think, Sarah? So you heard us talking a little bit about this. I mean, you know, the, the taper when it comes and it will come eventually, right? It's not going to be like going from 120 billion of monthly purchases down, you know, cut in half or something like that. What would you expect to be a number where the Fed either starts to float some trial balloons out there about possibly before Jackson Hole or possibly before their September meeting that might not rattle the stock market? Because we all remember the taper tantrum back in 2013. And in hindsight, it really wasn't a big deal. It is the financial media and a lot of pundits just obsessing over this sort of stuff. But what's a number that you would be comfortable with that wouldn't rattle the stock market in the near term? I think what you talked about, moving it down gradually, I guess yeah. the question is whether they're going to start end of this year, and that's going to really depend on the economic data, or do they start beginning of next year? Um, maybe it's $20 billion a quarter, a month. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's, the key with the Fed now is that they are really going to telegraph everything that they do. They really want to avoid that market reaction, that taper tantrum. It's interesting, you know, and Guy, Guy likes to joke around that the, the Fed's dual mandate is not stable prices. And this, it's that it's maintaining the price levels of the S&P and the NASDAQ here. Do you think that is like a good focus of theirs? And do you think that's a fair assessment that they are really worried about the kind of negative um, economic effects of a, of a drawdown in the stock market? And do they really try to solve to that? Well, I think, like I said, I think they really do want to um, communicate and just prepare the markets because really it's not in their best interest for markets to have a severe overreaction to what they're doing. So obviously their, their mandate is maximum employment and yeah. price stability. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they are fully aware that if they move too suddenly and they don't telegraph what they're going to do, they're going to have a huge impact on the markets. And that is counter to what they're trying to do for stability. 
And you mentioned jobs. So you have a payroll slide or we want to show now. Can you speak to this? This is a monthly change in non-farm payrolls. Yeah, so in his statement yesterday, Powell highlighted the improvement in the labor market. Um, but obviously, we, we still have a ways to go. We saw 150 or 850,000 jobs added last month. The market's really going to be watching this over the next few months. So actually, next week, we get the July numbers. Um, so I always look at the, so a lot of the economic data. It really goes in, in patterns in terms of what everyone's looking at. Right now, it's about jobs and it's about inflation. And we need to see continued strong job growth. Um, so, it, but I think one of the, the things that Paul highlighted yesterday was uh, he said that we still have ways to go. That's his quote. And this is particularly true when you look at the low level of labor force participation. We're still not anywhere near where we were before the pandemic. Yeah. And it's interesting because in, you got to pay people to work and that that's here's the way growth, but it speaks to your next slide. And maybe Earl will slide this for us because this I look at this and ain't nothing transitory about that. Maybe I'm just old fashioned, but I mean, you're talking about inflation year over year. Can you speak to this? Because this is pretty staggering when you see it visually. Yeah, the, the Fed certainly acknowledged the surge in inflation, but they keep using the word transitory. And they're expecting that we're seeing lots of supply bottlenecks. Um, and this is really what's causing the price increases. So their expectation is that we're gonna, not going to see inflation drop next month to their ideal 2%. It's going to come down gradually over the next several months. If that takes longer, that could impact what the Fed does. But this chart is important. This is the PCE inflation. This is the inflation number that the Fed tracks because this is consumer purchases. This is what the Fed is concerned with. Um, and obviously the Fed will be continuing to monitor this and we'll see how 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 short transitory is. That's the big question. Yeah. And, and, and you're, you're right to, to say that, you know, that spike guy, it, it does look dramatic, but it is because of, you know, a lot of these dislocations, the Fed used the term bottleneck like a million times, you know, in, in the, in the uh, presser, um, and, you know, especially over the last few months. But I think it's important that while we're hearing the word inflation on a lot of S&P earnings calls, I thought like Ford this morning, they, they said that they're seeing an easing in, in some of the supply shortages in chips. And we knew that that was something that, that was working its way through lots of different industries and causing a lot of um, production delays and shortages of products. So if we start to see headlines like that, as we get into the fall, I think that you're going to see these hot inflation readings that just to be clear, the markets don't seem to care about. The stock market doesn't care about, right? We had the biggest peak to trough decline we've had when the calls about rampant inflation was like, what, 4% this year? I mean, really, when you think about it, and the bond market doesn't care because rates have just careened lower. And how do you, or, you know, guy back in your textbooks in Econ 101, how do you deal with rising inflation? You don't lower rates. No, you don't. And Sarah, did you hear the indignation in Dan's <laughs> voice when he said my name? Because we're obviously on the other side of the fence here. Look, do I say kiddingly it's a Fed's dual mandate to make sure the NASDAQ and the S&P are higher? Yeah, half kiddingly, <laughs> but half seriously, because so much of consumer spending is linked to um, basically consumer sentiment. And consumer sentiment is linked to the stock market, whether you own stocks or not. But that's for another day. Sarah, can little closing words before we let you go and get out of here at 1046. 
Um, so I'll just say we had today's GDP report. So the growth was disappointing. We saw annualized quarterly growth of six and a half percent. FactSet estimates were calling for eight and a half percent. What happened there is one of the, the big negatives was a big drawdown in inventories. Um, so that subtracted 1.1 percentage points from the growth rate. So mm-hmm. that could potentially be something that we see reverse in coming quarters that will help to boost growth going forward. No doubt. I mean, you see an inventory build, that number you talked about is going to get ratcheted right back up. And then we're having a different conversation. I want to thank you, Sarah, for joining us. Hopefully, FactSet will give you to us once again to join us on at 1046. Dan, Nathan, I want to thank you. But before we get out of here, our crack producer, Amanda Diaz, wanted to make sure I was paying attention. I'm sure some of you folks (laughs) saw it in our earlier slide, analysts were spelled incorrectly. She tried to get that in and get it past me. You can't get anything past me. You could put Chapman on the mound throwing 103, and he's not going to get that past me, Dan Nathan. I'm just letting you folks know in case you didn't think I was paying attention. Yeah, you are the grammar uh, police over there. Hey, listen, thanks to Sarah Potter. Obviously, John Butter's great work. Our friends at Open Exchange, they do an amazing job getting this thing up and running. And it's live, right, guys? This is a virtual yeah, meeting. Yeah, it's that live. Matters. I mean, come on, man. All right, so take us out, buddy. Thanks. Uh, Fed moves closer to tapering, Sarah. I'm not sure about that. Analysts applaud big text earnings. See, she spelt it right that time. was incorrect on a prior slide. Susquehanna, the hat company, upgrades American Airlines. A few others did as well. City, I think, last week also upgraded American. One for the road. Thank you, John Butters. Growing Storm. Thank you, Sarah Potter from FactSet for breaking down everything that's going on with the Fed, inflation, uh, jobs, GDP. And again, we also have to thank our presenting sponsors as we get out here. First of all, I want to thank Dan Nathan, who I can't do this without. I think you would acknowledge that. I also want to thank our presenting sponsors, FactSet. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, Open Exchange, because they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan Nathan, will I see you next week at 1046? No doubt about it. See you later, folks. Yeah, bye.